Welcome to Art & Company. I'm Alette Simmons-Jimenez, a Miami visual artist and your host on the program. Thanks for joining me in my studio near the center of the Miami art scene as we talk to the people who drive and support the arts that shape our community. Did you know that if you go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and rate us, you, the listener, can actually help to connect us to the rest of the world. Also, while you're there, please leave us a comment. We really would love to hear from you. And now, here's today's episode. Today, we add a new couples episode to our lineup. I'll be speaking with Deborah and Dennis Scholl, a couple that has had enormous influence on the growth of the Miami art scene and the careers of many of our artists, myself included. They are two art collectors and longtime Miami arts activists and patrons. They're smart, they're passionate, they are dedicated to each other and the 305. We'll travel back to Jersey where they started out and we'll hear their thoughts on balancing it all from running nonprofits to collecting to curating and filmmaking. In a short moment, we catch all the way up to the present and what might possibly be in store for the future. I think between the two of you, we could talk on just about any segment of the arts and we could fill way more than an hour. But I chose to have you in as part of my couples episodes, mostly because no matter where we look, you two are together working for the same goals. So welcome, Deborah and Dennis Scholl. Good to be here. Great to be here. I'm going to ask right away, because I know probably some listeners that, that might know a bit about you also wonder the same thing is, do, do you ever sleep? We go to bed pretty early. <laughs> really? You two just got back from Sundance, right? Yes. Do you travel a lot, Deborah, with him? I do now. Um, when he was working at the Knight Foundation, I didn't travel a lot with him. He traveled quite a bit then. That was much less fun travel. We were going to wonderful places like Akron and Macon oh. and uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. places like that. Yeah. Now we're traveling more for, for joy, for fun, for art. Uh, for our new wine project, things like that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the travel's been a lot more fun. Of course, it decently is going to get curtailed because of my new my new gig at the Art Center of South Florida. Right, right. And um, so do you, do you ever, like, pass things off between each other? Like, you go here, I'll go there, and share sure. tasks? Sure, I, I would say more, yes, generally more on a, um, in Miami kind of thing because there's so much going on in Miami now. Right. Um, and it's impossible to do everything. And, right. you know, and especially so much going on in the art world, there's always a couple of things, it seems like, going on every night. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we do that often yeah. now. It's, um, it's such a big difference than when we started. We started collecting art together in Miami 40 years ago. And um, back then, you couldn't necessarily find something to do every night. And when something was happening, <laughs> you... You, you showed up because it was important to support everybody else because the ecosystem of the art in Miami was very fragile. It couldn't really handle a bad review. It couldn't really handle criticism. couldn't handle much of anything. And so there was a small cadre of people, many of whom are gone now, that banded together to try to you know make this scene 
something special. And of course, the end result has been dynamic it, and shocking. It's, it's shocking, actually. I was, um, I'm a, a much, a, very much of a hermit. And that's why I, I need to have my studio near, it doesn't have to be in the middle, I don't want it to be right in the middle of everything, but close enough that when it comes six o'clock, I'll go, all right, I'll go to that opening. <laughs> if I'm by my house, I'll, I'll just never go off town. So if I'm here and then it's on my way home, it's really easy. But I, I look in, at my calendar and I go, yeah, I said I would go to that. And I said I would go to that. And then you see like five things that are happening. Yeah. And you're like, I'm not going to go to any. <laughs> well, you know, as you get older, <laughs> yes. you, you really don't want to go out yeah. to, many, you know, to a lot of things. And also now in Miami, there's so much traffic. And yeah. so I think that makes a, a lot of venture prohibitive. So you have to decide, all right, I'm going to go here or it's on a weekday. I'm not going to, you know, bother with the traffic. And, you know, you just have to pick and choose. It's a different yeah, reality it's right now. It's a different thing now. You're starting to see organizations try to own certain times of the week. I know at the Art Center, we this weekend had our first art film collaboration with O Cinema. And we thought about, well, when could we do this? Because you normally think about going to the movies at night. And we thought, wow, do we really want to add another thing, you know, to the nighttime scene? And we right. said no. And so we offered a Sunday brunch and then a film, and we brought the director down, and the turnout was fantastic. And, you know, we had unlimited mimosas, which always brings out the artist. <laughs> but um, it was a really uh, nice moment, and you could see that people are looking for something relaxed to do that time. I think of the Frost Art Museum out west. It's very difficult to get oh, there yeah. at night. And so they've been having their openings. We had an opening there of our Aboriginal collection a, a number of months ago. And they had it at Saturday at 3 o'clock. And it yeah. was fantastic. Yeah. And people came because yeah. it's a time when you don't have to fight traffic and you don't have other obligations. And so people are starting to figure that out and becoming a little more discriminating as to when they do things. Not everything has to be Thursday at seven o'clock. Right, and, and a lot of the times there's already so much competition, it's just- Well, the Perez owns Thursday that. at seven yeah. o'clock, I can assure you of that, so. Yeah. So, I wanna know, um, I wanna go back to um, the beginning a little bit and, and figure out how it all started. And for people that are younger, maybe, and wanting to do something similar like collect or build a collection or whatever. How, how did, where, where did you guys grow up? Miami, right? Or both of you? Um, I grew up basically in New Jersey. Um, my family moved to Hollywood, Florida when I was in the 11th grade. And I ended up going to a law school at University of Miami where I met Dennis. And, and law, was that your family? Were no. they lawyers or no, no, but it was something I could get into. <laughs> I went to school and um, and you just liked I it. Yeah. yeah, and I practiced just for a little while, and then I stopped to renovate buildings in South Beach about six years later. And did you later. have like a the renovation? Did you have any know how with that, or was it just the love for taking something, you know, and remaking it, and and it grew from there? Dennis and I always knew when we were in law school and as young practicing attorneys that we wanted to buy real estate. Um, and South Beach at the time was just right for the picking. Mm -hmm. And so we saved all our money and we, um, every weekend we'd drive around and look for a place to buy an apartment building and we finally did in uh, 1988. And I had been practicing as a, 
uh, for a bank as a real estate attorney. So I understood a little about at least the documents. And so uh, we bought our first building and that's how it came to be. It's what worked for Dennis and I because we've always been a really good team. Mm -hmm. Dennis has always been more the idea guy and I always love the day to day and making it happen. So it, it, that, I think that was one of the biggest pluses about doing it. I don't think we really had to know that much about real estate, but we always have a, an easy organic division of duties and it really works for yeah. us and in, in, in even in our personal life too. So you know? yeah, you're really a team. That's yeah. pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And, and so Dennis, did you also go to the same school for law? Yeah. You were um, both? So I grew up down here. I mm -hmm. came here when I was eight years old. And I grew up in Miami Gardens. Where'd you come from? Jersey. Jersey too. Yeah. Oh, both. My family came down here to find work. My my dad was a what do you call it, a steam fitter, like a plumber, and my mom was a secretary. And um, I grew up at, uh, like I said, in in Miami Gardens, uh, just north of here. And um, when I got out of undergrad, uh, I became a CPA. And after that, after a couple of years of working, I went to law school. And I came to class the very first day. And sitting to my left was a woman named Deborah Schwartz. And I always tell the funny story, everybody's heard the story in town, but that there was a guy sitting next to her named Ed Schwartz. And if Ed's name had been Carl, it wouldn't have been good for me. Because Deborah really, I was smitten with Deborah in the first five minutes and not so much reciprocity from her, but I had a whole semester to kind of sit next to her and change you know, that, wear her down, basically. And so, um, and we've been together ever since. This is our 40th year together. Wow, amazing. And and um, so, yeah, so no lawyer parents, and and they didn't probably collect art, did they? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think no. so. I don't no. know Deborah's my, did. My, my parents so, had a lot of antipathy toward uh, the, the art world. They didn't think it was a thoughtful thing to do. Right. They didn't yeah. understand it. I, I remember the... Probably the second work of art I bought was a with Deborah, because uh, we could we everything I've ever bought we've done together. We started collecting together when we were uh, twenty two years old, and uh, we bought a Roy Lichtenstein turkey shopping bag print, and it was a picture, it was a silk screen of a turkey dressed for Thanksgiving in a pan that had been silk screened onto a bag. And it was one of Roy's very early first show things at Castelli. And I was really proud of it. I think we paid $500 for it. And I brought it and I showed it to my dad. And my dad said, son, you are out of your mind. <laughs> Stick to being a lawyer. <laughs> I remember it like it was yesterday. Oh, this is what, yeah, this is when we were still uh, in law school. We started collecting right, right away when we met. And, um, and the only way that he understood it, it was later when we sold it actually for, you know, yeah, then money, so. But so, so the inclination to like look at art, and I, I'm just interested in kind of knowing how where where'd that come from. Well, I grew up in a family who had a lot of art appreciation. Um, we lived close to New York City, so we used to go to the Metropolitan a lot, um, not to MoMA or Guggenheim, but to the Met. To the and Met. Um, um, and so I always had that kind of upbringing, understanding art. Um, Dennis, and I don't really want to speak for him, but he didn't have any art appreciation in his family, but he, um, and I guess he'll tell the story better, but he was the one that is much more passionate about collecting than I am. 
and I wouldn't be the collector I am today if it wasn't for him. You know? he, he jumped on the, the turkey one and <laughs> had to have it. <laughs> I, I went to my first museum ever at the age of 20, 22 years old. I'd never been to a museum before of, of, of art. Uh -huh. And um, uh, and I, there was something about the cool white box. There was something about being in there and looking at objects and seeing that their relationship to each other was more meaningful than each of the objects themselves. And it just resonated with me. I found it soothing and I found it intellectually stimulating and it made me curious. And um, um, when I get curious, weird things happen. <laughs> I, I I'm very kind of OCD-ish. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and so I got very interested in the idea that um, you could figure art out just like you could figure out a math problem or something like that. And interestingly enough, I've done, a, as, as you may alluded to earlier, I've, I've done a lot of things in my life. And the only two things that I have stuck with after 40 years are, I've stuck with Deborah, which is always a good decision. <laughs> but I've also stuck with art because it is a never-ending cornucopia of surprise. You, yeah. you always learn something from art every yeah. single day. Get up in the morning and I see the things that we've acquired over the years. And uh, it just... It just soothes me. It feeds my it feeds your soul. It really does. It really makes yeah. you think about the world differently. My life has been immeasurably better because of our involvement in the art world. Well, hopefully for Miami and our art community here, hopefully a lot of people take heed in that, those words because we really need that. That's something that I wish I knew how to do as a side job or something, you know, to get people to, to collect. It's like you said, for 500 bucks, I mean, really, and you can still do that today. You really can. You it's, certainly you know, can. I mean, we, we bought a piece a few years ago for, I think we paid $900, and the Whitney borrowed it a year later. So, yeah, I mean, I, it, it's there to do. The yeah. other thing is what, I, I don't think people understand that Miami has a very strong collecting community. It's not just the five or six of us that everybody knows about, you know, the, the Bremens and the Della Cruz yeah. and... Uh, you know, Craig Robbins and Marty Margulies and Rubel and people like that. And sometimes Deborah and I are lumped in that group. Um, it's not just that. The, the, the Art Basel Art Fair has created dozens and dozens of people who, in the beginning, maybe out of civic duty, just went there and bought a piece of art, you know, just to, just to do it for the community. Right. And now we're 17 years in and they have real collections and they bought 50 things in 17 years or 100 things. So there's a lot of quiet collectors. And the other thing that Miami collectors have always done since the very beginning is they support local artists. They really do. There are there are plenty of good collectors out there that, that are interested in local artists and are supporting them. Why? Because we have really, really good local artists. They yeah. are very special. And every year, some of them break out and become international, you know, internationally recognized artists. So right. it happens. It does. It does. And, and that's true when you... When you think about it, I mean, we, we like, I guess we like to always, not we, every, every smaller community looks to New York and goes, like, yeah, well, so many people buy art in New York. But a lot more like, artists there, though, yeah. too. It's not, <laughs> exactly. You know, and the rent is much, and, much yeah. more. So it's so, tough hey, there. I'm now. not there. <laughs> I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> so um, did, did you ever, so you never thought about actually making art? yourselves right that never I mean Dennis it would makes be, art I don't well I, I don't yeah. have the talent yeah. don't have the interest 
my, my experience has been after a long time in the art world and being interested in making art that there was no way for us being the contemporary art collectors that we were and remain to do it in a legitimate way where the work could be looked at objectively. I always joke that collectors are the sheep to be sheared. You know, we're the ones that are supposed to go and figure out who's next and what we're interested in and, you know, put our money down and take our chances. And I have some friends who, who are very good collectors and also very good artists, but I've never found that they get a fair shake from the art world as artists. Mm -hmm. um, being the fact that I had reached a point where I wanted to be a maker, I looked for ways to be involved, and I found that filmmaking was a way yeah. that was close enough, particularly the films I make, because they're all about art and artists. Nice. So it was close enough to the art world and yet the art world was pretty respectful of the things that I was doing. Right. And, and so that was a way of, for me to be a maker over, and I've only been doing it for the last 10 years or so. And, uh, and I've made films with the Astor Gates and Tracy Emin, Frank Gehry. I'm making the authorized biography of Clifford Still right now, a, a documentary biopic. Just finished a film last week about Miami artist Andy Sweet and Gary Monroe. Yeah, that's um, been very well received. No, right? we've been we've been blessed with a <laughs> yeah. really wonderful. I can't reception. wait to see it. I didn't get to the no. opening, it, but yeah, coming soon to a yeah, theater near I you. I know, I'm waiting. <laughs> but that has been an amazing experience for me, and it makes me wish, in a way, that I had figured out as you have, you know, that being a maker is a real complete way of life, and you can do it. I, I just, I just, you know, was doing other things, and I also think that the entrepreneurial experiences that Deborah and I have had. Um, historically restoring 20 buildings in South Beach. I found that to be a very fulfilling Artistic experience. Artistic and creative thing Yeah, to do making too. wine right. no, and in Australia. Wine. I mean, I, know. It's just, we yeah. should have brought you a bottle. We'll bring you a bottle. Oh. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's so, it's it's really interesting. That's why I said it, it seems like, you know, uh, uh, I mean, like, you know, because I just like to be that way. I like to have every day be exciting and not figuring out how, how am I going to do this? How, how am I going to be able to get there, you know, from A to B and all these things going on. But I, that's just my makeup. That's the way I am. Yeah. And, and I think that uh, making art is 24 seven basically, yeah. but it's nice to take a chunk of time and do something else. One of my artist friends once said to me that uh, being an artist is 90% sitting in the studio and thinking and 10% going to the hardware store. <laughs> and I believe in that. I believe that so much of yeah. the art gets made up here. Right. And, you know, in your head. And that when you actually go to execute it, you know, you adjust it and do things to it. But by and large, when you go to execute it, uh, it's already done. Yeah. And so I think that that's a... It's true. I used to torture myself when I was in my 20s. And I had kids and giving birth and do, you know, doing the baby thing and everything. Bringing the baby to the studio and breastfeeding in between. One <laughs> Craziness. And I used to... That may be too much sharing for yeah, your right. viewers. So. <laughs> But uh, I used to sit in a chair sometimes and just want to go to the studio just to stare at the ceiling. And I would feel so guilty about it. Like, just you know, it's awful. You're avoiding, you're avoiding it. I then did I, it. But, I, but I realized that it's, it's so necessary. You have to sit there and think. I did a series this summer in which I interviewed uh, six very well-known contemporary artists. Uh, the series is entitled In My Studio. And I spoke to Wangeshi Mutu and uh, William J. O'Brien, Huma Baba, 
uh, Diana Al-Hadid, Doug Aiken, and uh, Waleed Beshti, those six. And it was astounding how many of them had a very specific chair that they sit in just to think. <laughs> just to think, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So you have, to be, you have to be cognizant of that as an artist yeah. and be making sure that you don't discount the time that you're taking to either empty your mind or fill it again. You, know, right. you really got to stay focused on And finding on the next step where you're staring at something and you know, you know, you got to know which, what to do next, what, what brushstroke, but, but yeah, so, so that's, uh, time to think is very important. Yeah. So, um, your collection is huge. I mean, in, in my mind, I'm sure they're, they're, I don't know that many big collectors really, really well, but it, you know, it is big. And so tell me the breadth, the breadth and the depth of it. You t I, I've heard published so a number. Well, we, it, it's smaller than it used to be because five years ago we gave 300 works to the Perez Art Museum uh, of Contemporary Art just before they opened because Deborah and I felt strongly that this community had been good to us and that was the thing that we could do to give back in a material way and we're, we love doing it. Um, except the day when the truck came to pick up everything. Then I was like, oh, what have we done? <laughs> but generally, we love doing it. And then um, just a few months ago, we gave away 200 works from our Aboriginal contemporary art collection of Australian uh, Aboriginal artists to the Met in New York, uh, the Frost down here, and the Nevada Museum of Art, which has been very helpful to us in building that program. So we, and before that, we'd probably given away a hundred works otherwise. So we've given away 600 works of art in our life, but we still have a few. Deborah might want to talk about how that happens. Yeah, so it seems like we give away a lot of art and then Dennis gets very excited about um, stuff coming up at the art auction or going to the fairs or in galleries. And so he surely makes up for what we've given away. So. Um, we gave away, I guess, we'll say the 300 pieces of art, and I think we replaced it with 400. Or yeah. <laughs> well, I guess, I suppose, it, it makes room for more buying, which well, is a great thing. It does. It does. <laughs> um, or it inspires uh, you, like, oh, my God, I feel empty pockets. I better go buy more. <laughs> we're committed. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. people know that about us. We yeah. did the math recently and determined that since we got together 40 years ago, that on average we've bought a work of art every week for the last 40 years. Oh my So that's gosh. a lot of art. That's a lot of art. But it's yeah. fun. Yeah. And right. it's been a huge part of our life. And as Deborah always says, no kids, no pets, no, no animate objects in our life. So the art is really, yeah. you know, Deborah made a funny comment about how when the art was leaving to go to the Perez, uh, you know, four or five years ago, it was like watching your children go out the door, you know, because we've lived with these things for a long time. And Every piece represents a relationship with an artist, maybe a relationship with a gallerist, a relationship with other collectors. Uh, so there's a lot of emotion built into the collection, right. and uh, we, we, you know, we love that. We've had five different collections. So, yeah, I, you you do like kind of buy. I mean, it seems to me I may be wrong, but you you purchase. You had like the uh, the Aboriginal art. And I'd kind of like to also know what got you into that. But, um, and then I heard you said, 
uh, one night at your house that you were going to start looking at um, drawing works in drawing and things like that. So what what have you collected by kind of theme in that? Not theme, but... So how did we start? We started while we were in law school, and all we could afford were uh, prints. And so we started buying a lot of prints, and we did that for probably about 10 years. Yeah, and 10. Um, we started then to renovate buildings in South Beach, and we couldn't afford to buy buildings and buy art, so we stopped the print collection. And I guess after a few years of renovating the buildings, Dennis was jonesing to buy more art. <laughs> and so we started buying photo base work. And part of the reason we chose to do that, first, we always like to be very, very focused in what we buy. And the second reason we decided to do photo based is because we, at that time, work was very affordable and we can buy a lot of photo base as opposed to, as Dennis always say, one Rembrandt. Right. So it gave us opportunity to buy a lot. And then I think um, Dennis also, after about 10 years where he learns everything he can about the medium or the art, he's, he loses interest. Mm -hmm. And so it seems after that 10 years of photo base work, we started um, having artists, we were buying pretty much all over, but starting to have artists do commission works for us and a lot more conceptual mm. kind of works. Mm. And then subsequent to that, so that was about, I would say that ended probably about 10 years ago. Yeah, probably about 10, maybe nine years ago. And I, I got a little burnt out on the art world, which has never happened to me before. I'd been doing it for 30 years with Deborah. Everything is a joint decision. There's no you you like this one, I like that one, we'll buy both or we won't buy either. We have a two vote rule and it takes mm -hmm. two votes by by this this team sitting here yeah. with you to buy a piece of art. That, yeah. which is a good Oh, uh, that's amazing. Good I, exercise. I love that. I think that I, mean, I wish I could implement that more in my own. <laughs> like so. I think it's great. Yeah. But but I had gotten a little played out on the contemporary art world at that time. I was just frustrated by how much of it was about money and how much of it was about personality. Mm -hmm. um, as a sidebar, before I finish that story, I want to tell you that we just returned from Sundance where our friend uh, Jennifer Stockman, who's a great collector, and her husband David Stockman, um, Jennifer did a, produced a film called The Price of Everything. And right. it's all about the contemporary mm -hmm. art world. It's been picked up by HBO. And it's a, it's a really tough, interesting film in which it compares the careers of Jeff Koons mm -hmm. and Larry Poons, which mm. is a brilliant idea. Yeah. Larry Poons was a very well-known painter in the 60s mm -hmm. and has continued to paint every day for the, all of his life, um, but with only minor success. And Jeff, Jeff Koons is a juggernaut in the art world. Yeah. You know, like him, hate him, if you, you know, the French hate him right now, but, right. but he, he, you know, he's a very important, you know, factor in the art world. And, and so it's a brilliant film. It's going to come out on HBO very soon. You want well, to pay, great. pay attention yeah. to that. I but that. I had gotten a little, you know, played out on the art world because of the money and the personality. It was mostly about that and not about the art. But as Deborah said, I can't not collect. It's not possible for me to mm -hmm. not collect. It's just part of my DNA. And uh, I was looking for something new to do. And I went to Australia, as I have for uh, since the year 2000 to make wine, 2001 maybe. And while I was down there, I had looked a few times at the Aboriginal 
Australian art, but I, I was looking at tourist art basically. You know, I wasn't looking at the right. best things. And I was with a woman down there who's the chief curator of the Museum of Contemporary Art of Australia in Sydney. And she said, oh, you've got to go look here. She sent me to a museum, go down the escalator to the basement and you turn the corner and there is the greatest, most amazing art I've ever seen. And it's contemporary Aboriginal painting, sculpture, etc. And I was dumbstruck by it. And that, that's happened to us a few times with artists the first time we saw Julie Moretu's work. Um, uh, there, there have been a few Gursky's work. You know, certain artists are just like, wow, you know you're in yeah. the presence of something really right. special. It just hit you. MacArthur Binion lately is an artist we've been looking at like that. But I, I, I come back up into the light. I, I'm literally on my way to the airport to come home. I've been in Australia for like two weeks. Get on the plane get to Miami, it takes like 30 hours to get back from the vineyard. I walk in, I Deborah says, hey, how are you? And I go to her, you're not going to believe what we're going to do next. <laughs> That's amazing. So, so he told me we're going to clap. I said, what? I said, can't, you know, I said, it's so far away. It's so hard, you know, right. da, da, da. but yeah. uh, we, he persevered. Yeah. <laughs> and so over the last 10 years, we've acquired 400 uh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know when he says we're going to do that, you know what it means. <laughs> Without, One time he came home and he says, oh, we're having four, right. like 30 poles shipped here. I was like, yeah. okay. <laughs> so, of course, we have to buy homes for all our, our art, too. Right. So. <laughs> so we've built one of the largest collections of contemporary Aboriginal art in, in America. And we, the thing I about... I saw you had a show, I believe you, or you... Uh, organized it or something at, at the Paris Museum. Yeah, we've I had, that. That we've had, really uh, nice. we're in the process of, the most important thing with that work was getting it seen. It wasn't about us having it. I love having it, right. but it was about getting it seen. And I began to develop relationships with the artist. I would go there and spend time in the bush. You know, I, I, I mean, this has been a way different collection than going to New York and going to Sotheby's and just raising your paddle. I had to work a lot harder for it. But in doing so, I knew that the work had to be seen and that it had been kind of forgotten in America. And so together, Deborah and I have put together three different museum exhibitions that are touring to 16 total museum venues in the United States and Canada. And that's been a really rewarding project for us. We're about to open venue number 10 in two weeks in uh, Nevada. And then that show will travel to the Phillips Collection in Washington, D.C., which is a heralded museum. I mean, yeah, Duncan Phillips right. was, I mean, if I could grow up and be a collector like Duncan Phillips, my life would be complete. He was an amazing man. And, and so um, our, our goal with that collection has been different than just um, uh, acquiring. It's been about education. You know, we've commissioned 39 essays about the work throughout the years that we've been doing it in three catalogs. Prestel has had the catalog for a while. They've sold out the first one already. So it was really about giving these artists their due in America. And of course, if something happens in America, it tends to happen elsewhere too. Right. So it's been really joyful, but very specific. And yeah, but it's nice that after coming off of being kind of, like you said, burnt out a bit about the art world and the market and things like that, to go out to this wilderness and and then totally be taken up again. Oh, it's been a like another wave of you know, inspiration, and and it's interesting because it has been so hidden for everybody else yeah. that doesn't live there, or even people that live there. You know, not all of them go out. Australia has what we call. The, uh, 
the tyranny of distance. In other words, it's very difficult to bring a show there because the shipping is so expensive. It's very difficult to take a show from there because it's so, you know, the, the, the shipping and, and other logistics are so, are, are so difficult. But we've persevered on this and we're, we're very happy with the ability to use our relationships and because the work is extraordinary to yeah. get all these museum shows for the artists. We brought one artist to New York, uh, a man named Warlampunga Japaljari. And uh, it was his first time flying over water. He was, he came out of the bush at the age of 25 years old in 1984. He'd never seen a white fella, as they call us down there. Uh -huh. It's not, it's, that's just the, the phrase yeah, they use. Right. Never seen a car. Oh um, and, and so when we brought him to New York a few years ago, he had his first uh, escalator ride and his first elevator ride, they took him to the top of the Equitable Building, which is a big, tall building. Right. And when he got out at the top, he says, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> in, in his language, which is called Pintipi, which is a very small, kind of shrinking language. And the guys that were with him said, oh, yes, you are, because there's no other way down. Right. And <laughs> have so, to do it once more, so, at least. Um, yeah. Just um, meeting Warlen Perunga has made uh, the entire project worth it. He's an extraordinary man. He's a He's kind of the the head of his family uh, out there in the central desert of Australia in a place called Kirakura, and I've been there a few times with you him. You go in, in Jeeps? No we, go, no, we go in bush planes. In bush planes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the Jeep ride is actually too too dangerous oh, uh, really? because if you break down, nobody, you know, oh. I mean, it's just sand for, you know, hundreds of kilometers. Yeah. Kirakura is deemed to be one of the most remote places in the world because the nearest... Uh, Starbucks or McDonald's is 450 miles away. So it's a really amazing yeah. place. I feel very fortunate to have gone there, oh, but, yeah. but it's been an education. Right, right. So, so then from there, um, you're moving on now to the drawing. You've already begun. We have. We started, I guess, collecting drawings about a year ago. Well, solely drawings solely. a year ago. We've had a lot of drawings that we've, we still you have. You had before, right. And so it's um, easier for us to collect because you can basically do it from anywhere, right. you know, and drawings are everywhere. Mm -hmm. And um, we can, uh, they're smaller in scale generally, so we can fit them. But it's been mm -hmm. fun. It's something that I had wanted to do um, before we started collecting Aboriginal art. But Dennis came in with that. Look, honey, right. look this is the time. <laughs> time but, is now, right? Yeah, and for me, the drawings are a lot more intimate you know you, you can really walk up to them and you really have to walk up to them to see them and um, so for me I'm getting much more of that passion or appreciation by collecting drawings yeah yeah drawings are, are like you said they're they're intimate they're like it's just the the sense of the mark on the paper it's, it's also allowing us to go back in time which we've done very very little we're known I think in the art world for being cutting edge collectors. But most of what we've bought has been, uh, certainly in the last year or so, have been, um, we're following two threads. We're going back and buying things from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. So we bought in the last year David Smith, Jim Dine, Judd, Sandback, Kubler, Flavin, Oldenburg, you know, people like that. that we've never had in the collection before because that's not where we were looking. You know, mm -hmm. we were looking forward, not back. And at the same time, we don't want to lose the opportunity to work with young artists. And so we've been commissioning young artists uh, to 
to make his drawings. And, and so we've worked with wonderful young artists like uh, Sadie Barnett out of Oakland and uh, Zaruhi Abdalian out of uh, New Orleans. She was just in the Whitney Biennial. And so we're, we, we wouldn't want to give up that because that's been a huge component of right. our collection for 40 years. But at the same time, you know, we think people are overlooking drawings right now. If we can go back yeah. and, I mean, buying a David Smith drawing from 1951, I couldn't believe it. I pinched myself that we could actually go and do that. Mm -hmm. And it's beautiful and it's important feeling to his work. Um, and like, like, like Deborah said, you feel the artist's hand, you feel the intimacy. Yeah, of it. there was a, the show recently, I, I don't know if it's still up, probably not, that was the large, large paper that were, and I can't, of course, typically me, I don't remember the artist's name, but the work is beautiful. It's big sheets with very... You mean the one at the Perez? Yeah, the Perez. Yeah. 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 Uh, I don't remember her name, but those were exquisite, mm -hmm. uh, beautiful. You can you can feel that. Like, just, it just looks like you can really feel the artist standing right there on the paper. Yeah. You know, it's like, they have to be close. Yeah. And yeah. you're up it's, close. Is that Toby Godori? Is that the, the artist? I can't remember. Of? Is that yeah. who it was? I think so. Yeah, beautiful yeah. work. We were, I was inspired by We were it. just in New York, and we went to the, to the Morgan Library. And uh, they had the, the Erdenthal collection, and, and he was a, a drawing dealer, but he also built his own personal collection. It's probably the best collection in America, and he's just donated it all to the Morgan. Mm -hmm. And then he, he just passed a number of weeks ago, I mean, but, but he had gotten the donation done before mm -hmm. he passed. And it started in like the 1400s or 1300s and went all the way to Ellsworth Kelly and Richard Diebenkorn, and it was great. It's really special. Yeah. yeah. So well, we're feeling very inspired yeah. by that. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to see some big manifestation of that. <laughs> it's know. been known to happen. Yes, it has, right? We've had, we've had uh, close to 30 museum shows out of the collections that we've had. And so we, we don't collect um, just to get stuff. You know, there's, it's always very tactical. We try to be very tactical. Mm -hmm. We're always thinking about um, should you buy this or that, and if you buy this, why? And focusing, as Deborah said, I thought what Deborah said was very thoughtful, and that is that the more focused you are, the better the collection is, no matter what you do, because you get smarter very, very quickly. Right, if you're focused yeah. And, and, yeah, thoughtful. The, the other thing we've been very fortunate about in Miami is that the big collectors didn't collect together. They collected very much apart. You know, Don and Mira Rubel didn't go around telling everybody in town what they were buying. Marty didn't go around telling everybody in town what they were buying. And then there'd be a great reveal every year at Art Basel when they would open and Marty would open and, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Craig would open and a guy like George Lindemann would open. And you say, wow, you bought that? And they go, yeah. So. <laughs> There are other communities that we've been to where the collectors all traveled together in a posse and everybody would like the same artist. And so you see very similar collections in the town. That's never been an issue here. Uh, yeah. There is such a, a wide, diverse set of collections here, even within the contemporary art world. And boy, we're lucky to have that. Yeah, that I guess it's like, you know, more of their personal... Uh, view of things rather than following a trend that if somebody bought that I better buy one too and you well, know. Well I think collectors in Miami buy with their eyes rather than their ears 
better than almost any city I've ever been to. I, I, I really mean that. I, I think that that there is a tendency to buy with your ears sometimes. Yeah. And we all fall into that trap once in a while. But here, there's so much thoughtful, independent decision-making about collecting that I think that that's what makes our community special when right. it comes to the contemporary art world. Yeah, and it kind of... I mean, I don't know if this is very too much of a general statement, but, but it's, it's interesting how that correlates and is parallel to making art. Because you can make art, not maybe with your ears, but but you can follow certain trends if you're aware of it and if you see it a lot and it permeates into your work. And then there's a, I feel like there's a lot of artists here that um, are, are just making their art without that much. There's a big, there's a big community that does follow the trends, I would say too. Well, well not being in New York certainly helps with yeah. the light noise. You know, right. when you're in New York and you go to openings and uh, as an artist, there's a tendency to get either uptight or nervous about it, or there's a tendency to say, wow, that's happening now. I better look at that. I better, know. yeah, I got to do something like it. We yeah. don't really have access yeah. to that kind of... Uh, Art Basel is the only thing. And yeah. I go for, I usually, I like to go to the, the outside exhibits and those things, the installations and the big things that I, I find those so much more interesting after being to Basel for 12 whatever years, I go for a couple hours and I have to leave because to me it's like... I can imagine I that for an artist. Stand it. <laughs> <laughs> it must be hard for an artist. Yeah, I don't want to see anymore because I start, you know, there's a million emotions that run through you and you're just like, no, i got to get out of here. <laughs> go back and lock yourself in your studio and stare at that wall for a while. But um, so obviously it doesn't seem like it's ever going to reach an end unless maybe the filmmaking really takes over. Oh, it's going to reach an end. Yeah, collecting art. It's going to reach an end. We'll yeah. be dead someday. Oh, well, yeah, okay. Yeah. Not going there. But. So, well, feel free. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, why, you know, why would we stop? I mean, it's, it's a very joyful experience for us. And uh, um, Deborah has been wanting to collect drawings for 10 years, 12 years now. And now we are. And now you are. And, yeah. and so we got a lot of room to run in this situation. There's a lot of opportunity. We think the market is great for us in terms of what we can uh, afford to do and what's out there. We think we're going to be able to build a very, very serious uh, drawing collection of contemporary, you know, post-war is what we're looking right. at, you know, 50s right. forward. And if we can do that, you know, hopefully someday, some way, we'll, we'll find a home for it, just like we have Everything else for the... Well, contemporary collection and for the Aboriginal collection. You know, we'll see. You never know. You, you know. Will there ever be another world-class boxing to open? Well, Maybe. We, we mm. bought a building. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, we, we bought a building and um, we sort of, after some points, and you know what, we don't really want to go through that again. So we ended up selling the building. Okay. But, uh, you know, I, I can see us like putting our toe in the water again to do it. You know, we bought two units in our building where we've, we housed art. And so... In addition to the one we live in. Right, yes. I know. <laughs> I mean, you have art there. Yes. But it's very measured. And, well, and, yes. And that was, yeah. you know, we have a curator yeah. come once a exactly. year. Exactly. That's, that's something we should yeah, mention too. That's interesting. So we have a curator come once a year and we give the curator absolute control over any art that she wants to hang in the house. We basically um, deinstalled the collection before, and then the curator will come, 
and uh, she will she'll tell us what she wants you know usually there's a little we you know we take the works out beforehand that she wants and usually um, they don't realize we have a light switch or something there and right. they have to but for the most part, so do you so when they go do they go to the space where the work is or you have a catalog of both yeah, so works? We, yes yeah. so we send out most of them have seen our space already. Mm -hmm. We also send them once before uh, like a big booklet of what art we have in the collection. Right. And from there, they pick and choose. And then we'll bring all that art and have it there ready. Right. Go. Very interesting. It's, it's good it's, because. Yeah. And it freshens up your living space too at the same time. Yeah. And, you know, there are times though we buy a piece of art and it's never hung by a curator. Right. So if we look at each other and say, <laughs> Why not? Sneak this in. Yeah, and there's times that one yeah. piece gets hung almost every single time. Oh, really? So, yeah. Oh, wow. That's interesting. It's been interesting to not having chosen. We haven't chosen a work of art to hang in our home in 17 years. And we've bought know. all the art that's been right. considered, but I think I'll propose this: you pick the curator and you select. The one work you just want to see for a while, and okay. say build your selection around. That this wouldn't work. be fair. <laughs> sometimes it's fair to you. Sometimes Dennis tries to. I wouldn't say subtly nudge the the curator, but make a really strong suggestion. Like, wouldn't this be fabulous here? But right. the curator will back him down generally. <laughs> I, I'll give you an example. This year, uh, we have been acquiring a number of works by an artist I love. His name is Dave Muller. He's a Los Angeles artist. And he, he draws, works with watercolor, with pastel. And we bought a ginormous one. It only fit on one wall in the house. And um, I took it out, even though the curator didn't ask for it. Just set it there, just in case they were interested. And, <laughs> the, work, ways, right? and the work that they needed, that they chose to hang there, wasn't available in time for the party that we have every year when they're finished. And so I said, we got to put something in. So why don't you put the Dave Muller up? And the artist, the, the curator did. And it looked, I thought it looked great. And right. he said, now I'm leaving, but that other work is arriving in four days, and I expect you to send me a picture of it on, on wall. the wall. And so we took it down. So, oh, you know, we're making know. a commitment to the right. curator that if they're going to give us the time to take the time to make these decisions, that we're going to live up to our end of the bargain and right. live with it for the year. And it's been a wonderful experience because you see juxtapositions between work that you never saw before. I mean, professional curators are unbelievably talented yeah. and you learn so much from them. And that's what this has been about. We both learned so much about, about the art world and about art. Now we're pretty good at acquiring work. You know, we bought close to 2000 pieces in our life and uh, it's something that we spend a lot of time doing. Curators actually don't get a chance to acquire that much work right. as museum acquisition budgets are limited. But boy, when they get the work, they know what to do with it. Yeah. And, you know, they're special. It's very, you know, it's an institution that you've created, you know, small. It's fun. And, and, and it's true. You, you need to be truthful to it, but it would be hard for me. I could understand that. I would think I'd take a small one and put you don't it in have my to glove compartment it. in the car and pull it out. <laughs> put it away. But, um, okay, so I want to also, um, I want to ask one thing about the filmmaking. What, what, uh, what brought that on? I know you said for, you've been doing it for like about 10 years. Was there? I, I, I wanted to 
be a maker. And I didn't think I could be a maker of contemporary art. I have a notebook full of conceptual art ideas. But it, frankly, the most important thing about being an artist is to have courage because it's very, very difficult to be an artist. And, and I didn't have the courage to make art, but somehow I felt like I could make a film. And I felt like I could make a film that would had the potential to be respected. And that's all you're really trying right. for when you make work. Right. And the, the very first film, I'll just tell the quick story of how it happened, but I was watching the first Obama inauguration. And I've been thinking about making a film, but I didn't have a side. I didn't have anything. I just like, I, I kind of want to make a film, but I don't know how to do it. I had no idea. And Aretha Franklin stands up to sing uh, at the Obama inauguration, and she's wearing a crazy hat. Big hat, like zigging and zagging all over the place. And I looked at it and I said, that's it. I could make a film about about these these hat ladies. And just like everything else, you say, I'm going to do that. And then you forget about it. Right. And then four weeks later, I was at Knight Foundation at the time. And we had invited uh, the African-American community to come to the Arsh Center, to the Knight Concert Hall for Free Gospel Sunday. It was a new program. We were very excited about it. And we sent buses to the churches so that when the churches let out, the, the folks could get on the bus and have a box lunch and then come to the Arsh and celebrate Free Gospel Sunday. It was an instant success. But I'm standing there getting ready to greet people and the buses pull up and all these beautiful regal ladies start getting out and they're all wearing these crazy hats. Right. And then I knew that it was like kismet, that I had to do something at that point. <laughs> it was point. a sign. <laughs> and I had been, and then the third part of the sign, which was perfect, is I had been doing a little TV uh, piece that was produced by a guy named Marlon Johnson. And I said to him, you know, I want to make this film. I don't really know how. He said, well, what do you want to make the film about? And I told him, and he said, well, I grew up in those churches. And I spent my, I'm born in Miami, and I grew up in those churches. And then I knew I had yeah, it. You know, and then it. he and I have made 20 films together since then. And he's a wonderful, his name's Marlon Johnson. He's a wonderful uh, creative partner. Um, and we've had a really good run together making films. And uh, uh, that's how you get started. You find yeah. a way. Yeah, filmmaking is, is I, I've had a small small experiences with that. It, it's another world and it's exciting and, and nice to be in the moment of making it well and, and but what, it's a family thing you, you had mentioned before that being in the studio is very lonely it mm -hmm, can be mm -hmm. you know and what i love about making a film is that mm -hmm. five minute film that we made about why african-american women wear hats to church called sunday's best took at least 15 people to make the film mm -hmm. i love that mm -hmm. i love the mm -hmm. collaborative aspect yeah. i love the directorial aspect i love searching for the best people to do the graphic design, right. put together the poster, somebody to do sound, right. somebody to do lighting, first camera, second camera. You know, there's yeah. so much that you need to have. And orchestrating it all. To make and, a film. And, and, the, and the minds, the, the sharing of ideas that yeah. come, you know, late at night or whenever is amazing. A lot of joy comes I out of it. I did a little video, art video, when I was down there. It was an opportunity to, it was about Biennial's show and... So there was an opportunity to do something like off the charts that I had never done before. This is in the 90s. And I said, well, I want to work with, you know, one of my creative friends. And so I approached a person and we sat there and we started sharing ideas. And it, just that alone was enough 
to like this collaboration that was so amazing. And we did it with, we had, a, a, well, we had several different people. I traded drawings and paintings for every service that we needed. We had no money. <laughs> I had $2,000 and I asked my friend who owned a production house, I said, I have $2,000. I'll give you the 2000 <laughs> or I'll take a trip to New York. But if I give you the 2000, I need the studio, I need your editors, I need your guys, I need your carpenters. And we did it all in a short while. It won first prize in video in that Biennale. And it was, I said afterwards, this is the most fun, Mm -hmm. the most sharing of intellectual ideas, stimulating, stimulating mentally, intellectually, one of the most fulfilling, creative things yeah. I have ever I'm, experienced. I'm glad you agree. But, uh, I'm enjoying yeah. it very much. I'm curtailing most of my filmmaking opportunities for the near future because of my new role at the Arts Center. So Yeah, exactly. So that's the next thing. I want to cover that before we uh, wind down here. Uh, both of you serve in the community well in many many ways but primary i guess not not primarily for you deborah but it is you are the chair of the locust projects right yes and that that's actually i don't know lately it's taken a turn that i think is really positive in my mind maybe it's just my personal um you know what i like in the art world but i feel like it's it's becoming so much richer and and not not broader because they were always been very open and very broad thinking to inclusive, but I just feel like the the content is really took, taken an upscale. I don't know in my mind. I don't know exactly know how to define it, but we have our we're in our twentieth year right now, and so I think for the past few years we've been working really hard to say how can we bring Locus to the next level and how can we make it deeper? You know, Locus is now a young adult and so we're trying to (laughs) make Locus that way. So it's been something we've been talking about for a while and the three founders have been somewhat involved in that. Um, uh, So it's just been a, um, you know, just a a gradual organic evolution, but we do want to, you know, take it back. And we've also been, able to acquire a grant from Cannonball and start their legal and take over their legal link program. Mm -hmm. So we are trying to deepen what we can do for the artists in the community, most Mm -hmm. of all, and Mm -hmm. then also for the audience that comes in to see Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, I just want to say Deborah's a little too modest, though. I mean, uh, since she has become the chair of Locust, its budget has grown either 4x or 5x. Oh, really? And yeah. it, it, with the budget, she has been able to stay very true to Locus' original plan, which is to basically allow artists a place to do things that they couldn't do otherwise. Mm-hmm. So if you're a young artist and you're just out of school and you're not ready for that first gallery show or, or that first museum group show, Locus is a place to really experiment. And if you're an artist that has a significant career and is uh, doing things, Locus is a place for you to try something completely different. And so a lot of times when you grow a budget dramatically, you, you, you don't continue to have that sense of experimentation, that willingness to, to take risk and fail. And they've never lost that. You know, they've had a few directors and mm-hmm. they've never lost it. And so it's, uh, I'm really proud of Deborah for that. Yeah, I guess it is that sense of the word I was looking for, of 
of maturing, maturing well, you know? Like, I, I think you see that. You see, well, you see ups and downs and everything, just like at the art center. It's had its ups and downs, definitely. But it's great that to see that Locust Project, I don't know, I'd feel, I just feel so, when I go there today, like in the last maybe year, I feel just really more at home. And the work that is being shown, I am very impressed by it every time, like more, which, you know, didn't always happen. So it's on a, it's for me, it's on a good, uh, good direction. It's, well, it's going wonderful in, to yeah, hear. Yeah. I've, and you've I always been very supportive of Locust. Well, I've, and I've been, yeah, I think since it opened, I've been here and going. And it just, for some reason, I, I just feel that way. I, I know I told a friend of mine, I said, you know, I don't know what it is, but it's doing really well. I feel, I feel more connected to it than they've, in the past. They've never nice. lost, they've never lost touch with making sure that they know that the artists are their true constituency and that it's, it's a very welcoming place to artists. And if other people want to come, that's great. And they're happy to have you, but they make sure that artists are their right. first, first constituency. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're sticking to the, the mission at, from the beginning and how, so, okay. Uh, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I do, I think we should um, just talk something about Art Center. It's doing really well, no? <laughs> I get up every morning now, and I walk the four blocks from my home to Art Center, and I show up there. It's a and tough one, right? <laughs> it's, it's uh, and, and uh, we're, we're trying to figure out what we're going to be. Um, it's very exciting. We've announced uh, a number of new programs. We have a collaboration with, of all people, Locust Projects. I know, I know. I think that's so amazing. It's we great. have a wonderful talks series in which curators from across America uh, and actually across the globe now, we're starting to go international, are coming to Miami not to just give a talk, mm -hmm. but to give a talk and to do a studio visit. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, that's a great program. You know, this year yeah. we'll have people like Nato Thompson, Valerie Cassell Oliver. Um, help me, Deb. Who else is coming? Uh, Trevor Schoonmaker. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Heidi Heidi uh, Zuckerman from uh, Aspen. I mean, it's a really yeah. top-notch group. And instead yeah. of just having them fly in, give a speech, shake hands, and fly out, we've gotten everybody to agree to stay an extra day and to do a full day of studio visits yeah. with the artists in this community. Well, you know, that's like a, a jewel like there's, there's, for Miami because when you think about it, I mean, we have our curators here too and, and you know. And they're great. And they're great. I agree. But it's when you could, here I go comparing again, <laughs> to L.A. or New York or, or even London, I mean, people that are living, artists that are working in those cities, there's like, like you said, there's so many more artists too. There's yeah. so many more curators. There's nothing we can do that's more important, whether it's talks with Locust Projects or at the Art Center, sending people on residencies, right. things like that, <laughs> present company included. There's nothing we can do that's more important than connecting our community's artists to the art world in right. general. Right. And particularly to the art world at a level that we all want to operate at. Right. Um, so. No, that's so, an uh, amazing. I, I just uh, think that, well, I, maybe it's today. I feel like today the art world has 
or not today, but last five years, has really become into focus how important a studio visit is. And so I think it's such a great opportunity for the artists in Miami to be able to 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 get that. So we are. So that's uh, amazing. So and you guys came together on that thing, on that the art center. And, yeah. And, and yeah. Well, we knew right away that there was an opportunity for us to, because we are the two artist centric organizations in this community. True. That with with some heft, you know, with some with some scale. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so we have talks with Locus. The Art Center has a new art film program where we're showing films by and about artists. Um, uh, we're having our first uh, uh, friend raiser uh, uh, on Saturday called mm -hmm. uh, Draw, which I think you'll be helping people draw. Yes. Can you draw a cow? <laughs> we're going to find out. I, might be. I think um, I better practice. There won't be any cows there. We're going to have... We're going to have a wonderful group of models wearing uh, fancy clothes. And uh, so if you're going to practice, practice drawing humans. Some, some humans. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so we've got that. And we have a number of announcements coming up in the next three months that oh, I think good. will surprise and energize the art community in, in, wow. in Miami. And, um, you know, we have a very supportive board who has uh, just done magic by you know, creating the opportunity for us to have the largest endowment it's, of and have any yeah, arts organization yeah. in South Florida. They, you know, they, they made that decision and then they called me up and said, would you come help? And I wasn't going to miss that opportunity. It right. was a wonderful opportunity. It's, it's a chance of a lifetime, honestly, to, to Deborah and I have dedicated our lives to helping the artists of this community. And this is a chance of a lifetime to do it at a scale that I never thought I'd get to other than when I was at night. And at Knight Foundation, I was working with eight communities here. A, I can just focus on Miami-Dade, 305, which I love. But B, I can just focus on the visual arts, which is clearly the cornerstone of our interest and enthusiasm right. in, in culture. So it's a gift. No, it's, a, it's an amazing time to, to be there, too. The timing, I think the timing is amazing. I, I had my studio at the Art Center in 93. It was a, such a different place then. <laughs> it really was, and it's it's kind of nice to to be able to have experienced you know, the ups and downs that it went through, and and see it come out on top. The community it makes is, me proud, you know, that I can say now and and almost just about go anywhere and have it resonate. The visual arts community in Miami now is different. We have a lot more sophisticated practitioners. People's CVs are amazing. When we had the review this year for studios, for our resident artists who get studios at the Arts Center, uh, we had eight slots available, and we got around 120 resumes, I think. And each one was more dazzling than the next. I mean, there are a ton Some of amazing people. working artists in this community. And you don't forget it. But boy, when you have to make those decisions, you're so thrilled that the quality level rises to that. And that's, that's, that's my job. My job is to yeah. show the world that this community is special when it comes to the visual arts and that you're going to think about, if you're going to think about collecting, showing, exhibiting, curating uh, visual artists, uh, you got to think about Miami. Right. You know, we yeah, gotta, yeah. We're going to make that happen. We want that message to get out there. <laughs> I think all the artists do anyway. We really do because it's true what you just said. It is. And it needs to get out there. And one last question. 
the building for art center is it going to happen is there going to be a big building or is it going to stay pretty much the way it is now well we're the the first thing i did when i got there was to sit down and think about what's the strategy what are we going to do for the artists in this community and i think the four pillars that we're thinking about are residencies they just feel baked into our dna at the art center so we want to maintain a residency space mm -hmm. We want to do direct support to artists, both uh, the residents, our alums, and broader artists in the community. We want to also be more impactful to artists throughout the community. You know, we want to be all over Miami-Dade County. So, uh, so that direct support thing is important to us. We want to continue to have that international exchange that I was just talking about, the idea of bringing great people here to experience our community and giving our artists a chance to get out into other parts of the world mm -hmm. um, and experience that for their professional practice. Um, and then education and community engagement are gonna be the, you know, the watchwords as, as, as we go forward. So when you put those four things together, um, now I think we can sit down with our board of trustees and ask the question of where would be the best place for us to be. Is it still on Lincoln Road? Maybe, maybe not. Are there other places in Miami Beach which has been so good to us and we've been good to them? Mm -hmm. um, or, or is there another place in our community that we ought to be striving for? Because you have to acknowledge that in 1984, 1987, when Ellie Schneiderman, our founder, who I thank every morning when I get up for this job, um, <laughs> when she bought those buildings, she bought them in a place that the artists were coming to. And we have to decide if if it's still thoughtful, you know, to be there, or do we go and follow where the artists have migrated? Um, certainly they migrated to Wynwood for a while. You were a proponent of that. You were right. an experience that. They've since, in some cases, migrated to Little River where we sit today, uh, but they've migrated elsewhere too. Right. And with our resources, I think that we could set up an ecosystem almost anywhere in this community with with resident uh, artist studios and with maybe artist housing is a possibility too. Mm -hmm. So so with that in mind, now that we have a strategy, we're going to sit down this year and really work toward where could we do this in a way that would be most impactful for the community, best, best for the artists. Uh, that's a long way of saying, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, but that's interesting. See, I, I was just for a moment thought, well, maybe there just won't be a new space. There'll just be maybe programs maybe. that are more thoughtful. Well, there's going to be a lot more programs. Yeah, there's no, no question about that. <laughs> but good. I have been charged with the board uh, to both uh, build the plane and fly it at the same time. <laughs> and so we, I am busily... Uh, building the plane by thinking about where we might go next or whether we will stay where we are. And at the same time, I got to fly the plane and get the programs out there right. and start doing right. things for artists, which we're doing. Well, we have a wonderful alumni, a good you know, materials it. grant project that we're giving that away. That is that amazing. You're, you're following um, the WAGE guidelines, the wage guidelines for... I, I can't you? speak to that. No, I don't, you don't? You know, okay. I don't know we yet. We do at Locust. Yeah. yeah, you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I feel like 
you know, a lot of the things that the Art Center is doing to, with the alums and with the current residents and actually being paid for, you know, if you spend two hours there, you spend, oh. you travel, it's, it, you know, it's not like, it'll be so good for you, just do well, it. No, <laughs> and, I mean, and the artist puts the bill because it'll be good for you. Our position Which, you has know. always been uh, that uh, artists provide a valuable contribution in whatever they do. And I've always believed that you have to pay your artists uh, yeah. no matter what. And um, I can't speak for what it was like before I got there, but we pay our artists. If we yeah. ask our artists to come help us at an event, we pay them. If if we ask our artists to uh, to participate in a talk, we pay them. I mean, I just believe that you can't you can't uh, expect them to give you the time if you're not willing to treat their time as valuable. Right. No, well, that's a, hopefully more and more that will show up in the 305 too, you know, and everywhere in all the cities around the U.S. And all. But, um, well, I think that we've pretty much covered everything <laughs> and uh, I want to thank you so much for giving me your time. I know that uh, you, you're probably going to run off now to jump on a plane and go somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're excited Beautiful. about your series, and it's an honor to be involved in the first uh, first season. Yeah. And uh, Deborah and I are looking forward to, well, we're not looking forward to hearing ourselves, because that's never fun. No. But we're looking forward to but, hearing everybody else when yeah. you get it up and running. But um, thank you very much for coming. Okay. And I'm sure I'll see you around somewhere soon. Uh, the draw. <laughs> the draw. See you Saturday draw. night. Saturday night. That's <laughs> okay. Right. Thanks a lot. Thank you. This was okay. really fun. Yeah. So, hold on a minute. Just like our last episode, I have a little postscript I really have to add here. Since we recorded episode 6, a really amazing thing happened. Dennis Scholl, now at the helm of the Art Center South Florida, as he mentioned, just recently announced to the Miami community a new series of visual arts awards with a total of $500,000 in grants for working artists. The Art Center will announce the winners in October this year, if you'd like to know more, go on over to www.artcentersf.org slash ellies. That's E-L-L-I-E-S. That's where you can get the whole story on these amazing awards. So check it out and stay tuned for updates. And once again, thanks to everyone for tuning in. We'll be back in two weeks. Art & Company is recorded in the studio of artist Alette Simmons Jimenez, that's me, located just north of downtown Miami, where I record, edit, and produce all the episodes. Images, links, and more details on our guests from this episode and all others can be found on our webpage, artandcompanypodcast.com. You can also find us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Make sure you rate us on iTunes and let us know what you think of the podcast. And of course, subscribe to make tuning into our next episode easy.